Oh, thank you, son. Hey, everybody. I am so thrilled to uh, be with you all for the next three weeks as we talk about uh, what kids need in, in caring adults. I want you to start by raising your hands if you had parents. Let me see. You had parents? Okay, that's good. Anybody like me that when you were a kid, you actually thought your parents knew what they were doing? That they were just like experts at it, that they had thought it out, they were strategic, that they had followed some guidelines. I really thought my parents were pros at parenting until I became a parent and thought, oh, they had no idea what they were doing. They were making this stuff up as they went. The, having the kids part was easy. It's just the figuring out what to do with them. Now, raise your hand if you are a parent right now. Let me see. All right. Many of us in here are parent. If you're not a parent, here's what parents would say about parenting. It's difficult. If you're a single parent, you would change the word difficult to impossible. And if you are a single parent, you are one of my heroes in life. How you do it, I don't fully get it. Um, there are some people in here called empty nesters who are laughing at everybody else because their kids have grown up and they have moved out of the house. And then there are some of us in here that are boomerang parents. And those are kids that left the house and then came back and they now live in their house like mine. And, and, uh, and those of us um, cry ourselves to sleep at night. <laughs> now, I also realize there's a large group of you that you're not parents. You don't like kids. You don't want kids. You just don't even think about kids. And um, you're actually the type of people that I like to sit next to in a restaurant. Okay? <laughs> really, when my kids were little and growing up, I remember look. I mean, I remember one time we got seated, and this lady, you know, the eye rolls, the looks of condemnation, like I would never do that if I was a parent, you know, that type of thing. She actually asked the hostess to move, and um, I was a little hurt by that, so I asked the hostess if we could move as well, <laughs> and so we moved right next to her because. That's what pastors do. They, they help you grow and mature and become patient and, and, and kind. And Actually, here's the deal. Even if you don't have kids over the next three weeks together, that, um, this will be helpful for you unless you're a hermit. I mean, unless you're a hermit, your life is going to intersect with kids. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a coach, a teacher, a mentor, an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor who has friends who have kids, this is going to be helpful for you. I'm going to contextualize these three weeks in the context of some parenting illustrations, but really what I'm talking about is, is all relationships. This fall, I taught some of this material in Seattle, and a woman came up to me afterward and said, I don't, I don't have kids, but these three weeks, they were really helpful in how I treated my husband. And I, <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for him. But um, Now, and if you're here and you are a kid... I love it that you're here because now you can hold your parents accountable, that you can go home. Doug said, don't do that, Mom. you know, whatever. So here, here we go. But as we begin this, let me just start by giving you what I would call some disclaimers. Okay, let me give you some Doug Fields disclaimers. First of all, I'm not an expert at raising kids. I used to be an expert at raising kids until I became a parent. Okay, then I moved from my expert status. And then when my kids were teenagers, I actually became the dumbest human on the planet. Okay, and um, that was real exciting. And, but I am, I am a veteran parent. My kids are 25, 22, 
19 years old. They're all doing very, very well in the um, foster care system. Uh, (laughs) And so second disclaimer is what I lack in expertise as a parent, I make up as really what I am is probably a youth expert. For 30 years of my life, I've worked with teenagers, I've studied youth culture, I've written books to kids and to youth workers and to, to parents. Early in my marriage, working with teenagers was our primary form of birth control uh, because I didn't want to bring any into the, the world. And then when Kathy would get that look in her eyes like, we should have a kid, I would just take her on a date to a McDonald's Playland. And I just see one of the psycho kids running naked holding his diaper. And I go, really? Really? You want one of, the, you want one of those? But um, I, I, do, I do study youth culture. The third uh, disclaimer is that I just want to let you know that I am not going to take any time to bash culture. I know a lot of people do that as kind of a scare tactic and, you know, show you pictures of Miley Cyrus on a wrecking ball and, you know, and say, this could be your kid. You know, that's... That's not my goal. My goal, we all know the culture that we live in and the condition that it's in. I don't want to give you scare tactics. I want to give you hope tactics. And the fourth disclaimer is I want to let you know this. Um, I'm not going to be speaking to Christians or to non-Christians. Doug, did you not take your medication today? Do you not know where you are? No, I know exactly where I am. Here's what I'm going to be talking to. Parents. Grandparents, teachers, coaches, mentors, aunts, uncles, neighbors, friends. Some of you are followers of Jesus. And some of you are curious. You're questioning faith and God and Jesus. And and there's everyone in between. So if you are here and you are Jesus Jr., uh, or you are here and you the only time you say Jesus is when you golf... Um, And I am thrilled that you're here. And I tell you all that because I want to let you know this is going to be a safe environment to bring anybody that cares about kids. Now, I I have a bias. I've I've stolen most of my material um, from the Bible. The Bible sheds a lot of light on relationships and, and how to do them right. But if you look in your notes, what I want to do is I want to begin with the end in mind. And I want you as a parent to think about the end in mind. This is not a new concept. Marketplace people, they do this all the time. You have a job, a business. When you enter into a business, you think, what's our, what's our exit plan? Even in the church, we have things about like, what's a one-year, three-year, five-year goal? What do, we, what do we hope to accomplish in the end? I think that's an important part of parenting. It's not a new deal. We've been told this for thousands of years. Take a look at the scriptures in Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we need to be wise with our days because they disappear so quickly. We have some friends who just had a a baby in May. And for uh, Christmas, I gave them a jar of 936 marbles. And this jar of 936 marbles represented the number of weeks that little Taylor has until she graduates from high school. And the gift to the parents was to every week take one marble out and reflect and to think 
what happened last week, to thank God for this, this gift, to, and then to see kind of how many more weeks you have to go. Now, you know, my 22-year-old son said, Dad, that is so depressing. Uh, but I, I brought a picture of this because I think it's an, an interesting concept. Cute little uh, Taylor, there she is. And um, there's, I'm sure there's a joke in there about parents losing their marbles. But uh, the idea is that time goes by very, very quickly. And if we don't pause to stop, reflect, and think about it, we're going to find ourselves with a lot of regrets. And I gave that to them because I didn't want them to do what so many parents do. And that's not, a pay, not pay attention to the time. It was just yesterday... December 15th, 1988, when I was standing in Hogue Hospital and I went from not being a parent to all of a sudden being a parent. I'll never forget. I mean, literally, it feels like it was just yesterday when the doctor held my daughter and said, do you want to hold her? And I said, no, no. She looks slippery. Those are my words. And if you've never seen a newborn baby before, just think like Vaseline-covered weasel is kind of what I was. And I was, I, I, I was scared. I was, not, I was not ready for that. And then I uh, said, clean her up first. And then handed it to me. And as I, I held uh, E.T. In my, in my hand, I mean, I'm telling you, bam, time blew by. And now she's 25. What would it look like? If parents painted a picture of the end, Kathy and I chose to do this over 25 years ago because we worked with really, really good kids and really troubled kids. And we said, what are some of the common factors in these troubled kids? What are some of the common elements of these really, really good kids? And, and let's just paint a picture of what we want our kids to look like. And so I, I, I share these with you, and I share these with you because not for you to copy ours, but just to kind of paint a picture for you of what I'm talking about. And I put them there in your notes. Is just we, Kathy and I call them the five C's. The first is we wanted our kids to have a sense of confidence, a healthy confidence that they would actually feel good about themselves, that they would know who they are, that they would walk through life with not arrogance, but confidence, that they would, they would uh, know who they are because of whose they are. The second C is we wanted them to have character. What parent doesn't want their kids to have character? The, to, a moral compass to make decisions of integrity, of right and wrong, of, of value, values. If you're a follower of Jesus, you hope that your kids have a uh, Christ-like character. But regardless of your faith background, you want your kids to have character. The third is that we wanted our kids to have convictions. And convictions are, are beliefs. Every one of us has convictions. The question becomes, what are your convictions based on? Are they based on what you feel at, at any given moment? Are your convictions based on what other people say? Or are your convictions based on what might be called a, a biblical worldview? Because one's convictions shape one's character. You can't have true character without convictions. You see a lot of people who do, though, that watch this, is they try to have character. Mom and dad force kind of character on them. You, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. But if they don't have convictions, what happens when the temptations come? The character folds up. You see this with kids all the time. They put on an act. They wear a mask. When they're around mom and dad, they have character. But when they're on their own and all the influences of the world are around them, 
the character folds because there is no conviction. The fourth C is we wanted our kids to have compassion. We wanted them as they grew up in Orange County to have a, a love and concern for those who are marginalized, for those that, that don't live life like they live life. We wanted them to take them the focus off of themselves and to put it on other people, other people who are, are hurting, and to serve them in, in several different ways. And finally, we wanted our kids to have a sense of competence. This is the, the big picture idea that they would actually be able to live and function and thrive in today's world, knowing that they have God-given gifts, having developed some skills, and not just merely taking up space on this planet, but actually being a competent contributor to the world. That was, for us, that was our end game. And by the way, we, we stole that from the Bible, too. Okay? I mean, if you look in 1 Timothy, you'll see that um, Timothy paints a picture, or uh, the Apostle Paul paints a picture for young Timothy to become these areas. Now, with of these, what it does is that when you have an end game in mind, what happens is you parent in intentional ways rather than reactive ways. When you have an end game in mind, you parent with intentional ways rather than reactive ways. It doesn't mean you're not going to have regrets. I have regrets. I did not parent my kids as they were growing up perfectly. But what you're doing is you're enhancing the odds. This is, we're enhancing the odds. I'm not guaranteeing results because as intentional as you want to be, there is still this element of mystery that surrounds parenting that I have observed that some really good kids have come from some really bad parents and vice versa as well. So what we're talking about is enhancing the odds. Us, as parents, doing the possible with faith that God will do the impossible. That all kids are different. There is no one parenting formula. They each have their own unique brand of, of free will. But there are some biblical relational principles given to us from God that if we can align ourselves with those, we are going to enhance our odds. And that's what we're going to take a look at over three weeks. I'm going to give you ten three of them today. First one is this, what I call 10 actions kids need from caring adults. The first is strong belief, strong belief. And I don't mean this is you believing in your kids, like, oh, you're a terrific singer, dear. I love the way you throw. Oh, what a fastball. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm actually talking about strong belief in your role as a parent, that there is actually a high value in you being a parent. And as I talk about parents, let me throw in grandparents. Because the culture that we live in today, especially here in Orange County, grandparents, you are so important in the raising of today's kids. My mother-in-law, so my kid's grandma, is probably one of the most influential people in my kid's life. And I've said this several times, that I think my kids will be more sad when grandma dies than when I die. And it bothers me that nobody in my family disagrees with that. But, you know, so grandparents, you are so, so important. You've got to believe, parents, that you play a hugely significant role in how your kids come out to embrace these, these five C's. And I start here because, parents, you are the biggest influence in your kid's life. And if you don't believe that, you actually have trouble coming your way. 
If you don't believe that you are the biggest influence in their life, you will become nothing more than a shift manager at your own bed and breakfast. See, I talk to parents a lot, and parents are worried about the culture and the internet and MTV and the dangers of, you know, honey boo boo. Uh, but what they've got to realize your kids, more than anyone else, are shaped by parents. Parents' beliefs, parents' values, parents' actions. The parents are the primary influencer in a kid's lives. The only time that influence shifts to culture or media or friends is when a parent either physically or emotionally withdraws from the scene. See, parents, as hard as it is for you to believe, your kids want you to be their hero. Your kids want you to be the type of person that they, they look up to. That's God's design. See, God is really big on kids. Jesus actually said this in Mark chapter 9. Jesus took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him, the child, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. That when you welcome a child, you, you welcome God. I mean, that is, that's a high calling. That puts a parent's life in perspective. Your calling is, is so important. Folks, it is part of your destiny. You being a parent is, is your life purpose. It's your calling from God, and it is worth your, your very best effort. That raising your children, it actually may be the most spiritual thing you will ever do in your life. Your children are God's gift to you. That's how they're referred to in the scriptures. Look at Psalms 127. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. And I realize some of you are not feeling like your kids are a reward right now. But how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now what's a quiver? A quiver is what archers, you know, archery, what they would wear a quiver on their back and would hold all their arrows. And he's saying is, how happy is the man, joyful is the person whose quiver is full of kids. And some of you are going, no. Okay? I feel like shooting my kid into another community. And, and I, I understand. I mean, there were seasons, seasons in my parenting. I remember listening to this guy one time say, your kids are like a cocoon. <laughs> that you have to nurture and protect the cocoon because inside the cocoon, a butterfly will emerge. And at that point in my parenting, I, w I wanted to stomp the cocoon. Okay? That for fear that there wasn't a butterfly, there was a there was a bat or a buzzard within, and I did not want to see that uh, emerge. But if they are a gift from God, doesn't that change everything? I mean, if God says, I'm, in, I'm stewarding you a gift, that you would value it. Now, it may not be what you, you know, ordered at Babies R Us, but nonetheless, it's, it's your gift from, from God to, to value it. It's a big deal. If you're a parent, raise your right hand and repeat after me. I am a big deal. 
You are. That's it. You're, you're a big deal. And, and I, what do you think if we would begin to value the idea of parenting as a bigger deal than our paycheck or our hobbies or our social situations? So what if the next time somebody says to you about what do you do for a living, you don't mention your career. You actually refer to your high calling. What do I do? <laughs> Funny you ask. I'm in charge of raising three homo sapiens <laughs> in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might become instruments for the transformation of the social order that God prescribed. <laughs> and what do you do for a living? <laughs> You're just a lawyer. I, you know, I'm sorry. See, because if you don't believe in the value in your role as a parent, if you don't believe that that is a high value, the consequences of your unbelief will sabotage your effort and actually wound your children. This season of parenting is a huge spiritual challenge, and it's worthy of our very best effort. And that's why I put it as number one. Okay? They're not all ranked in order of importance, but I wanted to, I wanted to start here. Okay? Strong belief. What else do kids need from caring adults? The second is all kids need what I call ongoing affection. I added the modifier ongoing for those of us guys in here. Because guys are real simple. And if I would say, your kids need affection, I can just see my buddies going on and go, hey, son. Okay. Check what else. I'm going to get through the other nine real quick. Okay, because, you know, oftentimes men are accused of being the emotional equivalent of a, of a brick. And ladies, stereotypically and statistically, you are much more affectionate with your kids than, than men are. That's why never in the recorded history of the world has a kid ever been hurt in the front yard and ran in the house and yelled for dad. Okay? When kids are hurt, they run in. Who do they ask for? Mom, why? Because dads don't care, okay? As much. I mean, I, my, my dad's line was, shake it off. I'd run in crying as a little kid. Shake it off, Doug, shake it off. I want to, but my bone is sticking out. And I'm afraid if I shake it off, you're going to be fine. Go get me some ice cream. Get out of the way of the TV. You know, that, that's guys. I can remember as a child being sick in the middle of the night, having to go to the bathroom to, to throw up or something like that. And it felt like before the toilet lid even went up, man, boom, mom was there, right? With a washcloth, scratching my back, whispering in my ear, being real gentle and comforting, analyzing what it was that, that made me sick. And I used to think to myself, where's my dad? And I never knew until I became a dad that he was tired. Men, affection, affection is something emotionally healthy kids have in common. And it's not just a male issue. Ladies, affection is something emotionally healthy kids have in common. And healthy kids have been given a lot of affection. From the time that we were born, social scientists refer to this as skin hunger, and what that means is that we need a touch. 
We need affection. And that affection must be fed consistently and appropriately. Because if it is not fed consistently and appropriately, what's going to happen is we're going to settle for inappropriate affection and actually become emotionally distant from our parents. So guys, if you can't figure out how to give, um, express your emotion properly, let me just tell you, your kids are going to suffer. An unaffectionate father and this isn't Doug's opinion. Yeah, this is research. An unaffectionate father will produce boys who don't know how to express themselves emotionally or girls who will express themselves sexually. Most promiscuous teenager girls have emotionally, not all, everybody, I'm not saying this 100% of the time, but most have emotionally absent dads or physically absent dads. That the dad might actually be there, but there's no affection lights cooking anywhere. And I understand, I understand there's hurdles to this. I've talked to enough parents over the years, and I can hear what some of you are thinking, Doug, affection wasn't modeled to me as, as I was growing up, or you know, I'm just not a touchy-feely type person. It's not my personality, or I've had... Um, bad experiences with misguided affection to me. Here's my response. I am so sorry. I am so sorry there are hurdles in your life. But as a parent, you have to face your hurdles. You have to identify them. And you've got to figure out a way to get over them because if not, you're going to wound your kids. It may require some counseling, it may require some intervention into your life, but something may need to change or your kids are going to suffer because of that. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of affection. I, you know, I grew up in the era where my parents were not really affectionate with me. So I had to rewrite the script. I had to write a new script that when I became a parent, I was going to be a hugger on steroids. And that's what I, I am and have been with my kids. I'm hugging, I'm holding, I'm wrestling, I'm cuddling, I'm goosing. You know, I'm doing whatever I need to so they sense that affection. Parents, you got to pour it on. you got to pour it on. Those of you with preteens or teenagers, and some of you don't have it yet, it's coming your way. Those of you with little kids, your kids want to hug you. They, they run in the house and like, ha, ah! you know, they, they want to hug you. They hit a certain age. They don't run in the house. They walk in the house with a little bit of attitude and they don't come running after you to hug they they see you and they roll their eyes and walk the other way okay and that's when you need to to pour it on you need to uh get close to them you need to be affectionate with them and here's what they're going to say you're weird and embarrassing to me which is the most ironic statement in the world that you're weird and embarrassing because you want to say really i'm weird and embarrassing and you wear a Justin Bieber backpack to school, okay, and posted 75 selfies of yourself, but I'm, I'm weird and embarrassing. See, that stage of life is when they need it the most. But here's what parents do. They become passive aggressive, and they go, well, my, my kid doesn't want to hug me, so I'm not going to hug them. If that's you, you need to grow up. You need to be the parent, all right? They need 
that affection. Because if you push those connections away, you're going to push them away. And again, kids that don't get appropriate affection will seek it out in inappropriate ways. And our culture has a lot of opportunities for them. I love this passage in the book of Romans. It's just so clear and concise. Romans 12, 10. Love each other with what? Genuine affection. That would, that would change everything. And take delight in honoring each other. Parents, practice this this week. Pour it on. Go home and give it a try. Put your arms around your kids. Sit next to them. You know, wrap your leg around. Do whatever you're... I mean, if you, have, if you struggle with this... Trip and fall on them. Start somewhere, okay, so that they get some of that affection. That's what we're... In all of the stuff that I'm going to talk about for three weeks, start somewhere that something is better than nothing. Does that make sense? All right. The third thing all kids need from caring adults is they need encouraging words. If your child is breathing, he or she needs encouragement. Encouragement is one of the deepest cravings of our soul. And I have never met anybody in my entire life who's like, <laughs> stop it. Really, I can't take any more encouragement. I just can't. I get, I've had it. I'm going to explode. Do not encourage. No, nobody, nobody does that. Encouragement is like food for our soul. And the people around you are starving. They, they need that fuel. And by the way, those of you that are older, your kids have not outgrown this, okay? Just letting you know. They might not live with you anymore. They might not even be in the same state as you, but they haven't outgrown it. It's two years ago this month that my mom passed away. As she was dying in hospice, we had about a three-week season where we were together every single day. I knew she was dying. It was just a matter of which, which day. I'm in my 50s, and you know what I wanted my mom to say? I love you, Doug. I'm proud of you, Doug. It's been a pleasure to be your mom, Doug. You're the best, Doug. I'm so sorry I passed on that receding hairline. Uh, you know, I, I, did, I wanted her to say that your, your kids do not outgrow it. Words are powerful, and when they're, they're pointed and positive, we remember them. We also remember words that are sharp and scarring. Take a look at what it says in Proverbs 12, verse 18. Thoughtless words cut deeply like a thrusting sword. What a word picture that is. But the speech of the wise is a healing balm. Hey, we all know that to be true, right? Some of you carry emotional scars with you that your parents said things to you that you have never forgotten. I mean, we have physical scars that show on our body that don't disappear. Some of us have emotional scars because of the words that were used. Words are powerful. I mean, whoever made up the fable, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never, what, hurt me? That person's an idiot, okay? It's just not true. I'd rather be hit with a stick, all right? Because words, words hurt. I actually, doing some research for a book I'm writing, was read something that says um, some medical study explaining that our brain processes emotional pain and physical pain 
in much the same way. Physical pain and emotional pain. So that's meaning this, that words can actually literally hurt one's body because our brain perceives such little difference. So, yes, physical hurt leaves scars, but so do words as well. In addition to wounding, here's what words do. Words have the ability to shape a kid's life for the positive or the negative. And some of you parents, when you're introducing your child or talking about your kid, you add modifiers, and you don't think they're negative modifiers. You think they're descriptive modifiers, but they're actually negative modifiers. I see it standing at the door. This is Doug. This is my daughter, Jill. She's shy. As Jill cowers behind mom's legs because Jill has been introduced a million times that way. And Jill has become what her mom has prophesied her to become. Are you tracking with me? Or this is my son, Carlos. He's a wild child. As Carlos lets out an evil laugh and lights a palm tree on fire. Okay. <laughs> Words are powerful, and they can either build confidence or they can destroy hope. And parents, you get to decide which. So let's go really, really practical. Let me help you be more encouraging. How do you do this? Well, one, uh, when you see it, say it. Say it positive. When you see something positive, say it. Catch them doing things right instead of always catching them doing things wrong. I'm not saying you never say what they're doing wrong. I'm just saying if you were to put a microphone in the average house, all you hear is, would you put the backpack by the back door? I tell you that every single Get the cleats off the pool table. How many times do I tell you, get the cat out of the microwave? You know, we're always on kids about, about stuff. Now, By show of hands, how many of you would rather be around people who like you than criticize you? Let me see. Let me just curious. Yeah. Well, why would your kids be any different? If you're constantly on their case about stuff, you're conditioning them to avoid you. They want to be around people who actually like them. So what if you switch things around? Yes, instruct them in what they need to to do. But also catch him doing things right. Buddy, you put the toilet seat down. That is so great. Here's some licorice in a Mountain Dew. You know, let's, let's throw a party. You know, catch them doing things right. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm getting at. I want you to imagine your kid with a tattoo on their forehead. Okay? Now, for some of you, it's not too hard to imagine because it's just going to happen in a few years. But the tattoo says this. Encourage me, Mom encourage me dad so when you see them in the morning that's what i'm so glad you're breathing you dressed yourself i love it you're alive that is great your nose ring matches your blouse whatever it is just give them some encouragement and parents here's the key don't expect it back okay don't expect it back and you won't be disappointed But when you encourage them, especially in the preteen, teen years, they're not going to encourage you back, all right? They don't have the emotional vocabulary to affirm you. So what parents do, again, they go passive-aggressive. Well, he's not saying anything nice to me. I'm not going to say anything nice to you. Again, grow up. Be the parent, all right? Let me come to you from the future. 
I told you, my kids, 25, 22, 19, they begin to get it. I mean, it's just they get a little bit later. They're all of a sudden discovering how awesome I am. You know, and they're using words to describe it. It, it, will, it will come to you. Okay? Just don't expect it right now. And let me go a little advanced with you. And, and some of you may not be ready for this, but others, you're ready for this. This is like advanced encouragement. you got to learn to encourage kids beyond their performance. You have to go deeper than just their performance. Now, track with me for a minute. A lot of language directed at kids is either shame-oriented or performance-oriented. And some of you grew up in that environment. You did something wrong, you got the look of shame on you. You did something right, you got the little pat on the head, way to go. Shame on you, I'm proud of you. Shame on you, I'm proud of you. You just kind of like, I don't even, shame on you, proud of you. And so then you try to live for the more I'm proud of you. So you grew up now all of a sudden trying to earn your parents' praise. That's why you're surrounded by tons of adults who are classic people pleasers because they grew up in a shame on you and proud of you environment. Let's face it, your kids are going to fail. Okay? And when they fail, you don't want to shame them. But it's not smart to say, I'm proud of you for failing. So you've got to look for encouragement opportunities that is not based solely on your performance. So when you go to your kid's game and they hit a home run or they strike out, the encouragement is the same. I love watching you play. I love watching you play. Because here's your life for your kid. There are going to be days when she hits a home run and there's going to be days when she strikes out. And she needs to hear from the most significant people in her life. I love you. And I believe in you. I mean, talk about building confidence in a kid. When you encourage, think about those five C's that I gave you at the beginning. When you encourage, encourage toward those five C's. Okay? You might even say something like, I'm, I'm amazed at how patient you are with your little brother. What is that? That's character. You know, I noticed that mom didn't want to get up from the couch and you got the remote for her. I love seeing you serve other people. That's compassion. I was really proud of the way that you stood up for your convictions. Hey, buddy, I was looking at your report card the other day, and it is so obvious that you're not cheating. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just really good. Words are powerful. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, verse 6, the words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush. I love this. But the words of the godly save lives. The reason we have a difficult time using good words for people is because those good words originate in one's heart. Good words actually come from a good heart. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35. Jesus said, a good person produces good words from what? A good heart. And an evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. Careless words are careful words. Jesus says they are, they're birthed within our heart. 
That's why, that's why everything in all relationships goes back to the heart. I'll tell you my story. When Jesus really transformed my heart, my parenting changed. Because if I'm really honest with you, I, as a parent, I wasn't ready to face my, the ugliness of my selfishness. I thought that when I got married that I, I was dealing with my selfishness, but marriage is nothing compared to the selfishness that I feel of parenting. Because as a parent, you're always on. I mean, kids don't leave you alone. <laughs> you know, there's just, and, and I'm honestly, my heart was not strong enough to love my kids the way they needed to be loved. So I had to have, I had to ask Jesus, I had to beg Jesus to change my heart. And when he changed my heart, my parenting changed. And here's the deal, there's, there's no, there's no technique, there's no plan, there's no relationship strategy that really matters at all. If you miss what Jeff talked about last week in such a brilliant way, that he reminded us of how God views us. Okay? None of this works if you don't understand how God sees us. In Ephesians 5.1, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, read it rest with me, as dearly loved children. As dearly loved children. It doesn't say follow God's examples as the one God tolerates. Follow God's examples as the ones God is mostly disappointed with. No, it says follow God's examples as dearly loved children. See, I, I think what I have for you over these three weeks is really helpful. I'm really excited to help many of you parents. I think it's practical and helpful, but if, if you miss this core truth, none of it really matters. See, the best help is going to come up short because what happens is you wind up parenting from a wounded heart. You wind up parenting from a, a, a broken heart. You wind up parenting from a wrong identity. But when people know that they are that they're dearly loved. They're capable of loving dearly. When you know that you are dearly loved as God's child, you are capable of dearly loving. And that's our dream for this community of people that we call a church, that we would go through life knowing that we are dearly loved. I hope you don't miss the next two weeks because I have the total audacity to believe that your parenting can be helped, your children can be changed, and they can make a difference in this world. Okay. Now, I don't want you to miss anything in this series, so I hope you come back. Okay. Let's pray together. As we pray and we move into a time of of continued worship, I want to invite you to respond that some of you may need to respond to um, some of the pain that you might have in your own life when you think about your parents, 
It was hard for you to even think about parenting because this, this just triggered the pain that you feel. Maybe you need to just sit silently and beg Jesus to show you what is that end in mind. Or maybe you need to recommit your, to your, your commitment as a parent or deal with your affection issues or the thought to your words, whatever. I don't know what it is. But we want to give you some space to do that. We want to invite you to come forward and be prayed for, you to write out a prayer and put in the prayer wall, to um, sit silently, to sing loudly, whatever you need to do to respond to what you've heard. God, would you, through the power of your spirit, would you begin the transformation in our lives? As we do the possible, will you do the impossible? Will you heal hurts? Will you help us to to raise the bar and to, to meet it in terms of us believing that we can make a difference in the life of the kids that you've entrusted to us. We don't want to be the same people as we leave here today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.